You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and this is the podcast about all things therapist, the things that we do, the things that we run into with clients. And one of the things that is largely emerging now that the pandemic, at least at the time of the recording, seems to continue to be opening the world back up. Fingers crossed that the Delta variant doesn't shut us back down. But one of the things that many people have put off over the last 18, 20 months or so is a lot of issues facing grief. And this is... An issue that one of our Therapy Reimagined 2021 speakers, Dr. Sonia Lott, is here to talk with us about today and also at Therapy Reimagined about helping our clients through this particular process. So thank you for coming back and spending some more time with us here on the podcast. Absolutely. I'm really grateful to be here. We are so glad to have you back. And I know you've answered this question before, but for new <laughs> listeners or for updates for people who don't know what you're doing now, who are you and what are you putting out into the world? I think that I am a unique emanation of a divine source, same divine source that we all are from. And I'm masquerading in a mature, full figure, brown, beautiful body. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That is awesome. <laughs> I believe what I'm putting out in the world is a pathway to transformation after loss. So let's jump right into this. How has the pandemic impacted the experience of people's grief and loss? And I imagine that this deals both with loved ones and the traditional grieving process, but a lot of other areas as well. Mm-hmm. Well, the pandemic has impacted our experience of grief in that it has offered us a significant a significant amount of death and non-death related losses. So that it means that just one, this pandemic, this novel virus for the first time in our lifetimes that, that's led to this pandemic, we have the loss of the assumptive world that if I do A, then B happens. It's all an illusion anyway, but in some ways it does help us get through life and there is some truth. We have some structure. We know, you know, when we have to be at work, when we're at home, that our family members are okay, that, you know, all of those things are in place. And what the pandemic did, particularly with when we needed to physically distance um, and restrict our activities to try to slow down the spread of the virus, there were a multitude of other losses that came that no matter what I do, I might still get this virus, particularly yeah. before there was a vaccine. The loss of economic security, you know, with jobs, the, the loss of physical well-being for many people, the loss of connection, you know, um, we've learned to connect in ways that we didn't before, like having Zoom parties and all of that, trainings and so on. But the, the lack of physical touch and being present with one another has been a significant thing for all of us. So there are just a multitude of losses. And that's before even mentioning the number of people who have died 
as a result of the pandemic and members who have lost two, three family members, families who've lost two, three family members in really rapid succession. You know, there's just an overload of loss and trauma that we're all dealing with. The piece that I heard that just really resonated with me was this idea of kind of the loss of the presumptive or assumptive word. I'll remember mm-hmm. which word you use, but the, mm-hmm. the uncertainty that became so pervasive during the, during the pandemic was really what I felt the most. I felt like there was so much of the conversations that I had with clients, the conversations I had with friends and family was about not feeling able to plan anything, not feeling secure that the, physically, like I'm going to survive, my family members are going to be safe. To me, that uncertainty, it feels like that would be very, like the, the, the cloud over the top that all of us were facing in addition to these practical losses of graduations or conferences mm-hmm. or, or weddings or trips or individuals that, you know, and, and death that we experienced. Tell me, talk a little bit more maybe about this uncertainty and the, the feeling of loss there. Yeah. Even for those of us who have been fortunate enough to have not experienced the death of a close loved one, we've kept our jobs. We've just had to adapt, you know, all of those things that we haven't really suffered significant financial shifts. There is like that cloud of, of the uncertainty, you know, and the doom and the weight of that has been significant. And another thing with that is that those of us who have been fortunate or lucky really in that way, because it really is luck of the draw, some of us have had difficulty acknowledging our losses, the loss of the assumptive world or the sense of control, because we don't feel like we have anything to grieve. People are dying over here and we're sitting here whining about, I don't know, you know, what's going to happen next week. So (laughs) we've been, in sitting in our privilege, we've not been able to give ourselves permission to lean into whatever our loss uh, or losses have been. In helping people work through that, mm-hmm. you know, that I don't know, there just seems to be so many mixed messages of society. On one hand, there's a lot of, well, you didn't lose anyone. Mm-hmm. And you're coming in here and saying, no, let's lean into that. Let's talk about what you've, you've lost. Mm-hmm. How do you help people and by extension, help our audience help people deal with even just that conflictual sort of messaging that many of our clients are facing? Uh, First, we have to name it, you know, and um, work on helping people to have permission to then lead into the grief. But, you know, anytime you lose anything of value to us, whatever it might be, you know, there's a grief process that we really need to honor before we can move on. You know, so I've, I have found that naming those losses and helping people to understand that they, they deserve to be able to have some grief around it. Certainly not as, you know, to the same degree as if someone, if you're dealing with a death related um, grief process, you wouldn't expect that it would be that disruptive in one's day to day functioning, but really just giving permission and naming it. You know, some people didn't, don't even realize that it's loss, what they're experiencing, to know that there's a grief process, if you will. Does that make sense? It does. It's almost kind of the dealing with kind of loss that, 
I'm almost looking at this from kind of an attachment perspective of mm-hmm. the, the loss towards, you know, independence that either people feel supported towards early in their lives or that they get thrust upon them that makes people kind of come back and deal with those same kinds of developments that they were either prepared for early in their life or not. Mm-hmm. And actually having to be having to get to a place of being able to recognize it, as you're saying, name it, and then be able to deal with the feelings in response to that. Yeah, it's it's um, not always easy to do that, but I think it really is important to. And, you know, part of the, this, the problem has been also is that to some degree, we're all in, 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 in dealing with loss. And so the support that we would normally have, we haven't necessarily had, or certainly not in the same way. When I think about all of the people in my life, many of them are therapists. Mm-hmm. And then there's also family and friend that friends who are not. And so many of the people in my life were taking care of so many people. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're, the weight became heavier and heavier. And mm-hmm. there was even therapists, I think, you know, I, I, I've said this publicly, I took on extra clients. And so there yeah. was you know, my capacity to take care of myself, to take care of my clients, that was, I I maxed out. And so mm-hmm. I think there have been a lot of times, and I think people are shifting now, but there have been a lot of times that there just wasn't that support. And the support that was there was also overtaxed. Right. And also saying that you maxed out, I zoned out just a minute ago and responding also to what Kurt asked around the previous. I, I have I have that effect on people. Oh, <laughs> and that's that's why you're my favorite host. Um, <laughs> hey, hey now, hey but now. I love you, Katie. Uh, um, I love you too, Sonia. They set me up for that. Um, <laughs> but you know, yeah, previous loss also uh, makes us more vulnerable to loss, particularly death-related loss. But yeah, it's an accumulation of all these losses that are happening at this time. And if we've had a history of that previously, it serves as a trigger and it can be even more intense in trying to take it all in, name it, you know, and have permission to try to honor, you know, the the, the loss, the grief around that. So if this previous loss is one of the factors that leads people to this greater risk. What are some of these other risks that make people more vulnerable to going through this right now? I think it makes more sense to talk about that as it relates to prolonged grief, to talk about the risk factors because, well, I'll talk about in terms of risk factors that make us more likely to get stuck somewhere in our grief process as it relates to dealing with the, the grief associated with the, the death of a loved one. Let's talk prolonged grief then. What is prolonged grief? Let's let's start at the, the basics and build from there. So that way you can circle back to how this fits with kind of these additive factors that people face. Mm-hmm. So prolonged grief is a type of grief experience that lasts for longer than 12 months. Okay. It's been at least 12 months. And it's important when we talk about it to recognize that grief in response to the death of a loved one is more than just the outward expression, maybe, you know, tears, but it's also grief is really all consuming. It's physical, spiritual, emotional, and cognitive. There's certain ways of thinking, you know, survivor's guilt, feeling like if I had done 
this and maybe that wouldn't have happened. We might feel more fatigued, have headaches, um, weight gain, weight loss, question a God if we believe there is one. So grief is like all encompassing. It's more than just whether or not we're crying or really missing the person. But prolong, and we never stop missing the person. I want to be clear about that. We just learn how to allow the grief, that grief to come up or that expression of it and to move through it. But when a person is significantly impaired in their ability to, based on their missing, their yearning for the person, based on maybe excessive avoidance of going places where the per- they used to go with the person, going through the person's belongings, if there is a lot of guilt or counterfactual thinking that we talk about it as where a person's like, I should have been able to make them to go to the doctor or if there's guilt in this case, if you were asymptomatic, you had COVID and you're asymptomatic and a family member got it and as a result, they died. So it's at least 12 months after that where these ways of thinking and feeling are still very significant or prominent to the extent that they're interfering with your ability to function. You know, in personal relationships, you might be more isolated, may have difficulty working if you're able really to work at all. So it's somewhere getting derailed in the process of, and I say this very tentatively, normal grief, if you will, the process of normal grief. I was thinking about the cultural differences between grief and the grieving process. Mm-hmm. How can a therapist identify if this is a normal, in, in air quotes, normal grief process and and kind of how that looks for different people based on the different identities and the different cultural background that they have versus this more prolonged grief that seems to be creating impairment. How do we know Mm -hmm. when it's a problem, I guess, is is what I'm saying. Well, it's the standard way and how much it interferes with their ability to function day to day in interpersonal relationships and work. In some cultures, like Jewish cultures, this way, there are a, um, a, a, a lot of beautiful rituals in the first year that to to allow people to mourn together, to say prayers for their loved ones that help people to move through their grief in a way so that it's less painful. And so in those ways, those rituals where the awareness and the acknowledgement of grief goes on for some time actually help people to adapt, to reintegrate into living more fully without their loved one. So those types of rituals or cultural norms around grief are not interfering with their ability to function. It's helping them to function well. So that's the, yeah, that's the first marker in terms of whether or not, you know, it's, it's prolonged grief. But, you know, there's a caveat there. If people are, and it's not so much cultural, but individual, if they are like engaging, this is one thing that happens sometimes. They're going to see medium after medium after medium after medium, spending significant amounts of money to continue to get messages from the loved one that they may find that comforting, but that's problematic because that interferes with their ability to accept that the person their relationship with the person has shifted because they're no longer in a body temple, if that makes sense. Or we sometimes see where parents are more likely to do this, where if they have a young child who's died, they leave their room exactly as it was when the child was last there. The same um, shoes that were on the side of the bed, the same jacket that was on the door might be there five years later. And they're comforted by that, but that's problematic. 
with some of these rituals and especially during the pandemic without some of those rituals that many people are accustomed to in the normal grieving process, for example, being able to attend funeral services, Yeah, that yeah. are we seeing an increase in these kinds of reactions from people in this grieving process because they're not able to go through those assumptive grief sort of rituals that fit whatever culture people may be coming from. Absolutely. That's really, really true. One of the ways that we're able to move through grief is to have people around us, people who can surround us and grieve with us. We don't grieve and we don't grieve well in isolation. And so that's had a huge impact on our ability to grieve. I recently participated in an article in the Washington Post last December about how people Um, David Montgomery was a reporter, but it's about how people were finding their own ways to grieve despite the limitations around, you know, gathering together in the ways that we traditionally do. We really need each other when we're in grief. So that's one of the things that has increased the likelihood of getting into prolonged grief disorder is not having the ability to commune with other people from the beginning of the loss because of the need to physically distance and also because so many other people over, have been overwhelmed with their own losses, like Katie, as you were saying, just maxing out and not really being available. So that's really, we can talk about that as a risk factor that increases the likelihood of prolonged grief. Um, another thing is, you know, people are um, more likely to acquire prolonged grief if they've had that history of loss, if they had, you know, some of these other non-death losses, so that they're really feeling overwhelmed, that they can't really, they don't have the space to really deal with the overwhelming nature of the the death of a loved one. So we're looking at isolation, a a loss of many things, whether it's the 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 small day to th- day things, a certainty, and all of these things are are making it more likely that folks are experiencing these prolonged grief reactions. Are there other risk factors that we should be aware of that folks maybe are starting to move out of now that we can kind of spotlight? If people have a history of have had a history of depression, they would be more vulnerable to pro- prolonged grief. And because of the pandemic and all the losses, people are more likely to be in depression as a result of that, even before or at the same time that someone dies. So that's another factor. People who have a loved one who die unexpectedly, and most people with COVID die unexpectedly. Exactly. They acquire it first and, you know, die unexpectedly is another risk factor. One other really huge risk factor for prolonged grief as a result of the pandemic is not being able to be with our loved ones or not having been able to be with our loved ones when they died, having to say our last goodbyes over FaceTime or, you know, Zoom. And like, we're not always able to be with our loved ones when they die. But when we're denied that opportunity, when perhaps we could have, it becomes more complicated, if you will, because it's more likely, the person's more likely to think, you know, if I could have been with them, then maybe I might have noticed something and been able to let the nurses know. Or I wonder if they were afraid, you know, if they died alone and, you know, not having had the chance to say what we wanted to say is a significant risk factor for prolonged grief. And that's pretty much been the standard protocol for safety reasons. But still, it's a major part of being able to 
adapt to that loss is to know that we did whatever we quote could do and being denied that opportunity is really significant. How are we likely to see this continue to evolve in our clients of pandemic related grief as people are being able to kind of return back to families as you know health restrictions get minimized this isn't the end of the grieving process i'm assuming it's not, not just like sn- snapping back so right. what what can we expect from clients as we continue to move into the next phase of of our lives well, in terms of prolonged grief, again, because it's at least 12 weeks, I'm sorry, 12 months since the death of the loved one, we're just beginning to see that. That's just beginning to show up now. And so uh, we're going to see more of that. But um, the other thing, as it relates to coming back to, quote, normal, which we're never going to, it's never going to be the same. A lot of people are experiencing a lot of grief coming back into, you know, the quote, real world. There's an awareness now of what really what they lost as they're coming back to what's left of it, if that makes sense. A lot of people who are being vaccinated are now experiencing grief around if the vaccine had been available even months before my loved one may have still may have lived, may have never gotten COVID, you know? So there's loss that's associated with coming back to the quote, real world. And for some people seeing that it's never the same, you know? Um, So there's the grief around the reemergence, you know, and some people are feeling like, you know, I didn't mind being so isolated. I didn't mind not having to have an excuse for why I don't want to go to this particular conference or this family gathering or this work-related retreat, (laughs) whatever (laughs) it might be. We're still going to see loss that it's sort of like the thaws. We're coming back to the living really more fully, seeing what was lost, even though if we still have some of it, People are needing help to rise from the ashes, so to speak, and to shift from what they've lost to what's now still available to them. As it relates to grief, it's going to be really important for clinicians to be, it's always important, but especially now, to be able to sort out what prolonged grief disorder is, which is a type of depressive disorder from major depression. And because it, because of the conditions of the pandemic, they're coexisting more frequently now, or at least we're expecting it to. And so both need to be addressed or treated, if you will, but they're very different ways that they need to be managed. So it's really important for therapists that we do our work and learn more about what grief really is as well as what it isn't and really be able to work with our clients now who are not in prolonged grief, but grief for whatever their situations are, you know, the death of a loved one or non-death losses to help to try to prevent the prolonged grief, to help them to deal with the things that we call derailers. For example, that once you experience, particularly the death of a loved one, knowing that people, ways that people can get derailed from the Move, movement through the adaptation process to loss. Um, they can get derailed by the grief. You know, um, I could, I wish I could have done more, especially, you know, with the pandemic, if not being able to visit with people, if they had COVID and passed it on, there is often a sense of, you know, the isolation, people couldn't be together to grieve. That's something that could derail the 
um, movement through the grief process. So we need to be aware of all those things so that when we're working with people in the beginning, there might be question of faith, all those things in the beginning of their grief process or when they first come to us to decrease the likelihood that they move into what we call prolonged grief disorder. I'm I'm also hearing, and, and this is the, the lens that I put on a lot of things, but I'm also hearing things that are potentially very traumatic, especially mm-hmm. with what society faced with a global pandemic, mm-hmm. but also what individuals might have faced with their own loss of a loved one, or if they had other losses that felt very sudden or, or very traumatic to mm-hmm. them. Do you have ideas around sorting that through? Because I think there's depression, there's prolonged grief, and there's trauma. And I think that all of those things may need to be addressed in different ways. And how important is it for us to tease those things out? What are your thoughts on on that additional element? Well, you know, I think that the trauma is sort of inherent in all of uh, the types of losses that people have experienced during the pandemic because they've been sudden, unexpected, you know, and very significant. And so it's sort of a given that it's traumatic. I think it's a safe assumption to say there's some trauma in that loss during the pandemic, even if it's the people, again, who didn't lose, you know, economic security or um, experience the death of a loved one. So I think that, you know, we need to deal with that also. And it's important to separate out all of the layers, but it's more, it's, it's, it's more difficult to separate out the different types of depressive, quote, disorders, where the trauma, it's, it's more um, clear that it's separate from, but integrated into a part of the full clinical picture. So there's the assumption that you're, gonna, you're dealing with trauma, you know, from the start. And then from there, it's a matter if it's, quote, normal grief, whatever. I, If it's acute grief, let me say that, rather than normal. If there's also depression and if there is prolonged grief or likelihood of uh, a greater risk for prolonged grief. Does that answer? I think so. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I think there's just been so much that people have been facing. I'm even thinking about losses that were not pandemic related, but impacted mm-hmm. by the pandemic. I mean, I think right. there's just so much we're really being able to understand your client's experience, what resources they actually had. You know, for some folks, it was kind of just this lost year. So even coming right. out into the the world, it seems like there are new things that they would be facing and mm-hmm. and truly understanding in a different way because there was the run, 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 take care of yourself, take care of your kids, do everything that you need to do. And then when things kind of go back to normal, again, air quotes, I think that there's right. a lot that we're experiencing and understanding differently and there's time to start experiencing grief and understanding trauma and potentially slowing down enough to actually discern depression. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, when we're in the traumatic experience, which was this has been this past year, there's often you, there's not, like you said, the space to even take it in. You're just trying to survive emotionally, you know, and sometimes in other ways. And so it's, again, this thought now people are really having the space to sit with as we're trying to reintegrate into more full living. Yeah. And so I also want to say that as we're talking about, quote, our clients, we're talking about ourselves too. We really need to have the support to be able to manage all the losses we've experienced 
to be able to show up for our clients in the way that they need us to be fully present. So it's a lot. For those clients that are stuck, yeah. any tips on getting them into talking about this and naming this that can help our listeners create some healing? I think what's really important is reaching out and it doesn't necessarily have to be a therapist. It can be a support group. But what I think is most important is that people need to know, they need to find people who really understand what grief is. And I always come back to this point in in podcast interviews around grief or print interviews around the still the myth that there are five stages mm-hmm. to grief. Okay. And it is a myth. The revered Elizabeth Kubler-Ross proposed it. Research has long shown that not only is it not true, stages don't exist. It's really very harmful to believe that. But there are a number of people who are very actively promoting that and many therapists who believe that's true. So I think it's really important for people to know that that isn't true and to find places and spaces in which they can understand what grief really is, that it's probably what they're experiencing. It's not in stages. It doesn't matter. It's not that it's not linear. There are no stages. There are phases of grief. And grief is like really messy. And it's really very comprehensive physically, again, spiritually, emotionally, and cognitively. So we need to understand what grief is so we can first understand what we're experiencing to seek what we the support that we need. And sometimes it's just being in a relationship with other people a support group, for example, a colleague group, or seeing a therapist, but again, a therapist who really understands what grief is as well as what it is not. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Mm -hmm. And we have a a couple of different interviews with some other grief specialists that we'll link to in the show notes that talk in more depth around how the stages don't exist. (laughs) That's so awesome. That's so awesome. Because I think it's it's so important. And I, I feel like just to kind of kind of our our last question before we have to wrap up and we could talk all day with you, Sonia, but I think I'm a therapist. I'm not a grief therapist, but I'm an informed therapist. I know (laughs) that there's no stages and I have a client that I feel like is getting stuck and not fully expressing their grief. What is something that I can do in my next session with them to help them open up a little bit and, and have some of that experience so they can start moving through? I would say be right where they are. One of the myths that was uh, most challenging for me to let go of is that it's really important. You really have to grieve. You really have to do this. And sometimes delayed grief is not denied grief. It's delayed because it needs to be. Or, you know, there's no space or may, may not yet be the safety around, not necessarily in their relationship with you, but within themselves and the life experiences that they've had about the vulnerability that comes with really leaning into your grief. I mean, we're like broken, we're busted wide open, you know? Yeah. And so if that person isn't expressing in the ways that you're expecting or that we typically think about, at least the emotional component of grief be right where they are because you know that there's so much power and healing in the relationship itself. So be right there with them and allow them that space. 
Where can people find out more about you and all of the wonderful things that you offer? Uh, they can find out about me at Dr. Sonia Lott, D-R-S-O-N-Y-A-L-O-T-T.com. Um, that's the easiest place to find me as it relates to my work uh, with uh, grief therapy. And we will put that in very large font with a link in our show notes at ndsgpodcast.com. I appreciate that. You could also find Dr. Sonia at the Therapy Reimagined 2021 conference. Yeah, so excited. That'll be September 23rd, 24th, 25th, both in Los Angeles and online, wherever you may be. And check out the conference at therapyreimaginedconference.com. I want to just add one more thing that I forgot to add that in this process, I just want to say to everybody that it's so important to practice self-compassion to allow yourself to be where you are, to know that you're worthy of whatever grief you're experiencing, even if you weren't impacted in the ways that everybody else has been. And just if we're trying to help other people, therapists or not, let's just try to be right where people are. That's what they need the most. Thank you. Yeah. Until next time, I'm Kurt Woodhelm with Katie Vernoy and Dr. Sonia Lott. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.